0: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here in person online. It's always a great opportunity to gather together as the family of God. And I hope and pray that you've already been stirred and moved and blessed in some way here today as we've gathered together. We're going to be talking about pain today. Perfect. Yay. Everybody loves to talk about pain, right? Woohoo. Let me ask you this question Have you ever if, been in pain before? Uh Uh-huh, okay, let's walk through this scenario. It's late at night, you've been in bed for about an hour, hour and a half, and all of a sudden your body's telling you you need to use the washroom. And so you get up out of your slumber, you're sort of alert, and you stub your toe. That is pain. And it's amplified because you're not fully aware of what's happening And so you might say some words you regret. You might wake up some family members. You might curse the sky, the ground, or the Lego that you stepped on as well. Pain, whether we like it or not, is a part of our lives. And the struggle is sometimes we don't know what to do with pain. I don't know what to do with pain. I can complain about it. I can ask for relief from it. I can down a bottle of Advil incrementally, not all at once. Pain, whether we like it or not, is part of the human experience. And something even Jesus himself went through. So what can we learn about pain today? That's the question. The grade 10 kid, I remember this painful moment in my life. Not physical pain necessarily, but emotional pain that I experienced on this day. I was hanging out with my friend Stephen, and Stephen and I couldn't be more polar opposite. I'm a strapping young five foot nine, 185 pound jacked gentleman. My friend Stephen is six foot four, 235. And so people would always laugh when we were wa- walking around together. And like five foot nine was generous because like when we were hanging out as teenagers, I was like five foot five. I hadn't hit my growth spurt yet, the last four inches. And so we were like, you know, this giant and this little puppet walking around in the hallways together, hanging out, whatever. This one day in particular, the two of us decided we'd hang out with another guy from our school. His name was Francis. Now, Francis was an interesting gentleman, he came from a broken home. He was always violent in some way. When you would play sports against him in, in gym class, he would find a way to hip check you or whatever. And, and on this particular day, he decided to practice some of his professional wrestling moves on the, the smaller of the two individuals, what happened to be me. And so I was getting suplexed in the, the schoolyard. If you know what a suplex is, it's when you, like, get picked up and you're, like, dropped on your head. So I'm getting suplexed, I'm getting stomped, I'm getting put in different holds, and I'm going, what is going on here? And I'm looking at my friend Stephen, and I'm saying, dude, can you help me? Now, I think Stephen was mad because he knew that I was moving later that summer. And so instead of intervening, he just looked at me and said, how do you think I feel? You're leaving in a few months. The culmination of that experience is when Francis decided to spit in my face. I don't know if you've ever been spat in the face before. It's not a pleasant feeling. It's like gooey and kind of warm. You feel violated. The consistency of whatever was hurled upon you is like sticking to you. I remember that moment and I remember it all these years later. And I know what it means to be in pain. Now, My experience might be different than your experience that comes to your mind. Maybe your pain is more like that middle-of-the-night bathroom run that you have to do and you stub your toe. But if we're honest, many of us have experienced emotional pain to a serious degree. But here's the thing about pain. Pain does not need to define us. Pain, if we allow it, can refine us. We're going to learn a little bit more about that as we dig into the story of a man named Jephthah. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 11. We're going to dive in, talk about three different things from this gentleman's life through the lens of pain, see what we can discover about what it means to be refined by our pain as opposed to defined by it. Starting in verse 1, and a reminder, if you've got your mobile device, Open up the U Version Bible app and you can follow along there on the uh, live events section that is Sea Road Live. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 11, it reads like this. Now Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons. And when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are a son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. So when we meet this dude Jephthah, there's a lot of interesting things that bubble up. Here's what we know about him. He is the son of an affair. His dad decided to sleep with some other lady. He was conceived, and because of that, his brothers, half-brothers, that were from his dad and his dad's wife, thought less of him. Because of his origin story, because of some reality that he had no control over, he was less than everybody else. Now, sometimes, if we're honest, this is exactly how we play things out in human history. All we have to do is look at, like, Ancestry.com, tracing your family lineage. Some of us get excited that there's a whole abundance of different elements to our history and our family tree. And other of us go like, man, this is like Heinz 57. Who am I really? We try to figure out who we are. And in this case... Jephthah is defined by pain that he didn't even cause. He's defined by pain that his dad initiated through this illicit affair. And forever from that moment on, he is known as the prostitute's son. Not his father's son, son of this pain and this damage and this wound that was created. He was known as what I'll call the rejected leader. Now, when pain is involved in our stories, what happens a lot of times is it creates these waves, these lies, these root behaviors that begin to burrow themselves into our minds and into our hearts and into the fabric of our very being. Jephthah, this rejected leader, is living in a reality that maybe none of us would choose. But the the truth about this pain stuff is some of us actually gravitate more towards the pain that's been caused to us or we've caused to ourselves than we would care to admit. And we start believing lies about us. In fact, what's more interesting is if we read and continue to read on in this story, in verse 3, it says after he's been, you know, kind of pushed out from his father's land, told that he's not going to be worth inheriting anything that his father had, he can't live here anymore, it says that a band of worthless scoundrels or worthless individuals start following him. A band of misfits, maybe people who have similar storylines to Jephthah himself, these outcasts. These people that are considered less than, or uninvited, or excommunicated from relationship. And they found this camaraderie and this connection with with a rejected leader. See, here's what happens in, in the evolution of pain if you and I don't start dealing with the trauma that's been inflicted on us or caused by us. We start to define ourselves by it. We start to believe root lies associated with that trauma and the pain. I believe these root lies are cap- captivated in two statements. They're fill-in-the-blank statements. I'm not going to ask you to say them out loud, but I am going to ask you to think about them. The first statement is this, I'm not fill-in-the-blank. It's a root lie that each one of us believe. We might think about ourselves like this, I'm not beautiful enough so I can't sit in a room with beautiful people. I'm not smart enough, so I can't continue on in my education journey. I'm not strong enough, so I can't go and do this activity. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not wealthy enough, so I'll never amount to anything. I'm not wanted, so my story doesn't matter. Whatever we believe about ourselves in the I'm not framework begins to infuse its way and it becomes expressed in the I can't framework and that's the second root lie that we believe about ourselves. If we think we're not something then we think we can't do something else and then what God does is he asks us to do the thing that we think we cannot do because we are not something. I'm not good enough so I cannot be loved. I'm not wise enough So I can't be trusted with money. I'm not faithful. So my wife or my husband will never take me back. Jephthah's story begins rooted in pain. This idea that he is not enough. And what our enemy would love for us To embrace is that reality, to sit immersed in our lie and live from that space, to let our pain define who we are and who we are not. This rejected leader label could be something that Jephthah tattoos on his heart and his mind and probably for a season he did. But thankfully, there's more to his story. Check out verse 4 with me. and We'll continue reading and see what happens as his story unfolds before us. At about this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. When the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, Aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Verse 8, because we need you. The elders replied, if you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders, let me get this straight. If I come with you and if the Lord gives me victory... Over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? The Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. This is where the story starts getting a little bit of fun for me. You got this rejected leader, this outcast, this less than individual, this person that was ostracized by his family. Because of his origin story. Something he had nothing to do with. He wasn't around encouraging his dad. Hey yeah, sleep with this other lady so that I would be conceived. He didn't do that. It was trauma and and wounds and pain that he had no part of. And yet now he is being defined by. We also know that he's a great warrior. And guess what? So do his brothers and all the elders of Gilead know that he is a great warrior. So when they panic... And they are under attack. They go to the very person that they rejected and now ask him to intervene. Now we might be thinking to ourselves, whoa, that's crazy. I would never do that. We do this with Jesus all the time. We do this with Jesus all the time. We take control of our lives. We start doing what we want to do. We live in the way that we want to live. We make a mess of things. And then we panic. And then we call out and say, hey, Jesus. Jesus. I know I rejected you. I turned my back on you. I walked away from what you wanted. And now I'm asking you to save me from what I've done. If we're honest, our spiritual maturity at times is like that of a toddler. Always crosses their arms and has a frumpy face. No. Jason, I would love to teach you how to love your neighbor. No. Jason, I'd love to teach you about gentleness and kindness. No. Jason, would you let me love you? No. See, sometimes we do this in our interactions with Jesus. And then we get into a mess, we get into a situation, and we're looking for a hired goon. That's exactly what Jephthah is known as, the hired goon. The guy who's going to take out the problem. The one who is going to rescue the community, the family, from the pain and the trauma that they're experiencing right now by their oppressors. And if we're honest, this is what we want from Jesus sometimes. We want a hired goon. Somebody to come in and beat up our troubles. But the problem is sometimes we are the initiator of our problems. We are the cause of them. We've made unwise decisions. We've made foolish vows. We've made choices that have consequences that impact the way that we live, our quality of life, to the positive and to the negative. And while God is more powerful than anything that we could possibly imagine, and he has unending grace, and he wants to work in us and through us and call us into a life of love and restore all things to himself, that's his nature in his loving way. He will also not spare us from all the consequences of our actions. Because if he did, that wouldn't be love. That would be manipulation. God is a God of love. God is not a God of manipulation. He is loving. He is caring. And sometimes the loving choice is letting us sit in our mess. Just like a toddler. Who's colored on all the walls and the entirety of themselves with permanent marker. You got to let them sit in that for a moment. Recognize the gravity of the decisions that they've made to color with permanent marker. And then experience the painful restoration process of what scrubbing skin with permanent marker feels like. See, the truth about pain is this. Sometimes there's more pain in our healing. Than there is to remain in our trauma. We can get familiar with pain. We can cozy up to it. We we can become best friends with it. We can become familiar with it and aware of it and know how to deal with it and live with it and embrace our captor and think that we're living free. But we're not. So here in this story, we've got these brothers that go to their excommunicated brother, beg him to come and be their commander because they're familiar with the pain that they've inflicted on him. They're familiar with the trauma that they've caused, but they're more okay with that pain than they are with the pain that they're experiencing in the moment of these oppressors obliterating everything they know about their way of life. Our pain doesn't define us, but it can refine us along the way. The things that we deal with, work through, can help us be prepared to walk a journey of healing and restoration and hope. One of the hardest things to do is if you're friends with, with people that always seem to have everything going for them. They haven't been through any deep wells of pain or frustration. And so then when you hit a speed bump in your life and you reach out to them and they're like, I cannot identify with what you're going through because I live in abundant blessing, you're like, man, this relationship is not even worth it anymore. What you need in those moments is when you're experiencing pain is somebody who is willing to share from the authenticity of their story And their experience, how they overcame their own trauma. People who have been abused, misused, mistreated, misunderstood. And yet have found a way to continue to move forward. Pursue healing. And live into the unfolding story that God has written for their lives. That is powerful. And if we're honest, too many of us stay quiet about what God is doing in our lives because we're still in process of experiencing our healing. But guess what? We all are. We'll never be fully arrived in this expression of human life. But we will be on a journey towards hope and life and healing And how we invite others along the way to participate with us in that unfolding story could make all the difference in the world for them. And for us. From rejected leader to hired goon, this is the trajectory of Jephthah's path. And and sure enough, God gives him favor. God gives him favor And he confronts the Ammonites. All their leadership basically says, listen, you're going to lose this battle. God has given us this victory. Would you back down now? They don't back down. And so he fights, and he triumphs, and he wins. And he leads his family into victory. But then something happens, and this is something important for us to understand along our own journey of healing. This is at times the same hamster wheel we get stuck in just like Jephthah does, starting in verse 29. Let me read this. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went through the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah in Gilead, and from there he led an army against the Ammonites, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Aror to an area near Meneth and as far away as abel Kerim. In this way... Israel defeated the Ammonites. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him. Playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy, she was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you've completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, that, and I cannot take it back. And she said, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam. In the hills and weep with my friends for about two months, because I will die a virgin. You may go, Jephthah said, and and he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. When she returned home, her father kept the vow he had made. She died a virgin. Now we get real kind of dark. I want to talk to you a little bit about this theme of an unwise vow. As the story plays out, you've got this rejected leader who becomes a hired goon. He's, he knows that God's going to give him victory in battle. And out of that arrogance, not confidence, he makes a vow, a declaration before God that is completely unwise. God never asks him for anything in this way God isn't saying, I want you to vow to me what, what is going to come out of your house. I want you to offer it to me as a burnt sacrifice. Anything like that. This is entirely Jephthah's initiative, Jephthah's construct in his mind that he makes up. And, and this is what's challenging for so many biblical scholars. As I've studied and read this over this past week in great, greater detail and depth, there are polarized opinions on whether or not this actually took place. There's some people that suggest, and they are correct, that This is outside of God's character, that there's no way that God would have allowed something like this to take place because this is absent of who he is. In other instances in the Bible, when child sacrifice was was pursued, God detests it, he hates it, he speaks out against it. That is all true, but God did not initiate this vow. Jephthah did. See, sometimes in our foolish rush to pursue healing, to instantaneously migrate towards through our pain from where we are to where we want to be. We can make foolish vows, foolish decisions in the name of Jesus, thinking that they are the right thing. How many times have we done this? I know I have done this in my world. God, if you just let me get this, I'll give you this. And he's not asking for that. He's asking for love and obedience to his invitations, not for me to dictate to him what that should look like. And in his gentleness and unending love and compassionate, compassionate character, he allows me to be a product of the own pain, my own pain that I inflict on myself and those around me. Here's why this, is so many, this scenario is so devastating in various ways. Jephthah's daughter was a one and only child. In this time period and time frame for a family, you existed. your, Your legacy was in the people that came after you. That was your prominence, that was your gift to the community, the world around you, the people who came next. Completely contrary to what our construct is in a North American mindset. Our construct here is that our material possessions are what we leave, what our legacy is given. How many times we can have our name as a donor on various portions of the infrastructure that exists in our world. Or what money we leave to people that we care about or we were somewhat connected to what possessions that we have, that or experiences we have had, that is the culmination of what we think a full life and abundant life looks like. For honest, that's exactly what we do. That our neighbors to the south call it the American dream. Here in Canada, we call it something else. We pursue this construct that isn't from God. Making vows and unwise, foolish statements along the way. Doing things in the name of God, in the name of Jesus that he's never asked us to do. All we have to do is study the history of Christianity and you see this bubble up in spades. You can, you can study a movement back in the day called the Crusades and you can see that this terrorizing element of of battle was rooted in something that Jesus does not want to be associated with. The oppression of one people group for the elevation of another people group. And if we're honest, we make these unwise vows time and time and time again, and I'm convinced it's because they're rooted in the pain and the trauma that we have yet to deal with. If you've ever been around a a dog that has injured their paw, you'll know this experience. If you try to help that that dog who has injured themselves, and they don't know that you're trying to actually relieve them of their pain, they will lash out at you. In fear that you will inflict more trauma, more pain, more wound on them, they'll nip at you, they'll try and bite your fingers, But when you get that thorn or that wound bandaged up and the pain is relieved, they'll lick your face. It's really weird. Human beings do a very similar yet different thing. When you press in on something that's painful, they'll lash out at you. They'll call you names. They'll start defining you by their own pain and by the pain that maybe you've walked through that they're aware of. And it's because they haven't dealt with their own stuff, their own trauma, and it's begun begun to define them and consume them to the point where they're making foolish accusations and foolish statements and even foolish vows as a result. All this pain and trauma in Jephthah's life could have been avoided had he just simply handed it over to Jesus. And guess what? Even when you make a crazy, insane vow like Jephthah would have made to offer whatever comes out of his house as a burnt offering and sacrifice, he 100% could have gone to God and said, dude, I don't think you want me to kill my own daughter. Is that correct? And God would have said, yes, that's correct. Don't do it. That's foolish. Don't do it. That's why it's really important for us to understand and know the voice of God as as opposed to our own voice and the voice of the enemy. See, the voice of God sees our pain through a different lens than we do. A voice of God can look at a rejected leader and say, this is somebody I can use. A voice of God can see an abandoned individual who feels unloved and say, this is somebody that is lovable. A voice of God can look at somebody that's been unfaithful in their relationships, committed adultery, maybe fraud of some kind who's inflicted trauma on others and said, you are not beyond my grace and my mercy. I choose you. I love you. Let me heal you. A voice of God can look at a debilitating medical challenge and say, not yet, not now. But the voice of our enemy, the voice of ourselves at times, if we're honest, clings to our pain. Like it's our precious. My precious. And we can nurture it. And we can breathe into it. And we can hold it dear. Because at least it's ours. But here's what happens with pain. When we don't navigate through it wisely. Our life ends up. In chaos, just like Jephthah's. He's got nothing left. His one daughter, his legacy, it's done. His future, his family, is sacrificed for what? Because he said something foolish. Because it was rooted in pain. Dr. Brian Loritz wrote this quote on social media about two weeks ago regarding pain. I'll read that for you right now because I think it'll help us understand the reality of what we need to do if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus. We have to be exceptional at navigating through our pain. He says this, Even in rejection, there is still meaning and purpose. Our response to our pain will dictate the trajectory of our immediate future. I started this talk by sharing a story from my life, a painful experience, where this dude, Francis, was beating me up, literally, spat in my face, and the emotional pain and reality that I felt in the abandonment of my friend, Stephen, for a long time, I didn't deal with that. And so instead of pursuing relational healing, I'd hold people at a distance away from me so they couldn't do that to me once again. And I also trained in professional wrestling. So if that ever came up again, I could suplex that other individual. I had a whole character designed and everything. It was called the preacher Years later, as I walked through that painful experience with a good friend of mine, I learned that the trauma that I experienced on that day helps me identify with people who have experienced trauma of their own. It actually makes me a better human being. Because I can empathize with people who feel rejected and abandoned, misused, mistreated, misunderstood, and taken advantage of. And yeah, my pain looks different than your pain, but I can understand it. And more than that, if I can understand it, Jesus sure can understand it. Jesus felt abandoned and and, and unloved by the friends that he gathered around him. On the day of his death, he had only four people there, and one of them was his mom. You can't count that. Your mom's always supposed to be there. So three people... If you think nobody else knows what you're going through, that is simply untrue. That's a lie that you believe God knows. He's felt it, He's gone through it, and He can lead you through it if you allow Him. How we interact with our pain will dictate the trajectory of our immediate future. Stop hiding, stop running. Start loving. Start loving. Because in our world, in our city, in our region, in our country, there is a whole lot of pain. And there's a whole lot of people that need some ambassadors that come alongside them, empathize with where they are. And help them on their journey towards healing. But we can't do that unless we ourselves have been healed. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to pray for our pain. In a few moments I'm going to ask if you're able to stand with me. And then I'm going to ask you to place one of your hands on the part of you that represents pain. For some of us it's our heart These wounds that have been inflicted on us for whatever reason, whether that was through words or actions of ourselves or another person, we carry them deeply in our hearts and it's shaped the way that we think and care and love people. And so we're going to put our hand on our heart because that's where our wound has originated. For some of us, it's in our heads. We're stuck. We're stuck by these negative scripts that we keep repeating in our brain, these lies that that kind of resurface time and time again, and that's where it all is for us. For others of us, we're in literal physical pain in our lower back, our shoulders, our knees, our kidneys, our elbows, our eyes. I don't know. Maybe our pinky toes. And so wherever the source of pain is for you right now, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to place one of your hands on there, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God would allow us to no longer be defined by our pain. Instead, be refined by it. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me? And wherever your pain is here today, find the courage. And so here's the cool thing. Everybody's doing it. They're not going to be looking around and being like, I can't believe they're putting their hand on their hip. My goodness. Put your hand on the place of your anatomy that represents the pain, the trauma that you've been carrying. You don't have to carry it alone anymore. Let me pray. Father, sometimes we are slaves to our pain. These wounds that we've experienced, we carry them around like badges of honor because we don't know what else to do. But soon enough, just like Jephthah, we, be, we become completely consumed by it and defined by it. No longer even able to see the purpose of That you have in the healing you want to give through the pain. God, it takes great courage to reject the ordinary and choose the extraordinary. And so, here today, in Jesus' name, for the physical pain that's in shoulders and necks, arms, kidneys, lungs, would you grant freedom? Not so that we have a great conversation, peace for ourselves, but so that we have a great story that speaks of you. In the follow-up medical appointments that some of us are waiting for, I pray, Lord Jesus, Medical professionals attending to the individual care of these people that are waiting for these procedures and these meetings. I pray that they would be flabbergasted as results and x-rays and tests come back, pointing to healing where no other purpose outside of you and your blessing can be attributed to it. Father, I pray for the relational strain that exists between wives and their husbands, that exists between siblings of all ages, siblings in their 50s, siblings in their teens, siblings younger, younger than that. I pray for restoration between grandparents and grandchildren. I pray for restoration between neighbors. Father, we do not want to be known as a people of pain. We want to be known as a people of victory because of you. So Jesus, this pain that we've carried for far too long, not anymore, not today. In Jesus' name, these burdens, these pains, these afflictions, we give them to you and we ask that you would do immeasurably more we could ask or imagine, Father, do do the unspeakable here today, right now. Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.